Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello and welcome to My Time Capsule. I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens, and in this podcast, I ask various guests what the five things are that they would like to preserve in a time capsule. They can pick four things that they love, but they also have to choose one thing that they rather regret, something they'd like to bury in the ground and never have to think about again. My guest in this episode is the writer Mark Billingham, whose Tom Thorne crime novels have been bestsellers for the past 20 years. But Mark actually started his career as an actor and stand-up comedian, and he's headlined at the Comedy Store in London on many occasions. As an actor, his most notable role was in the multi-award-winning children's TV series Maid Marian and Her Merry Men, created and written by Tony Robinson, in which he played Gary, the dim-witted but lovable guard, working for the Sheriff of Nottingham. By Series 4 of this highly successful TV series, Mark and his collaborator, David Lloyd, were co-writing the show. Mark continued to write scripts, adapting Dick King Smith's Harry's Mad and writing Night School for Granada TV. But his real love became writing novels. To date, he's written 17 Tom Thorne novels and a number of other crime novels. The latest Tom Thorne novel, Cry Baby, is actually a prequel to the very first, Sleepyhead. And Sleepyhead was adapted for TV in 2010 and starred the actor David Morrissey. Not bad. So let's find out what one of Britain's most successful crime writers would choose from his life to put in a time capsule. And the thing he'd like to reject from his life and banish to a hole in the ground. And I have to say, as the Americans say sometimes... This is a doozy. Did you get a chance to have a think through some things? Yeah. Brilliant. Was it fun? Yes. 
It was uh, well, it's whittling it down, whittling it down to five, really. But I've done it. Good man. Okay, well, let's find out what they are. Okay, Mark, it's great to have you on my time capsule. We've known each other for a long time, haven't we? Yes, but we don't see each other very often. No, I mean that's the. I, I suppose that's the way of the world, and even even more so during the pandemic, obviously. But I can't remember where we first met or when we first met. It's going back away, isn't it? I think it must be. Before Maid Marian. Yes. I know when that started, I said to my friend Ramsey, who was in it, and I said, oh, I know Mark. So I remember knowing you then. So we're talking a good... Blah, 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 some decades. <laughs> some decades. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> oh, well. So we're going to talk about five things to go into a time capsule. Right. So um, do you want to launch straight in with number one? Okay. I, well, I mean, a lot of them are sort of moments, really. And I suppose that's what a lot of people have been putting in your time capsule moments and memories uh, that are, no pun intended, encapsulated by a thing. Or And, and my thing is a particularly big thing that, to go into the time capsule first. <laughs> it's Brent Cross Shopping Centre. <laughs> well, also be more specific, a particular part of Brent Cross Shopping Centre. It's a sort of, stand, it's standing outside Marks and Spencers on the first floor of Brent Cross Shopping Centre right. in the year 2000. Mm-hmm. And I suppose it's the moment when when my career changed, when my life changed. Um, I had decided I wanted to try and be a writer. I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd always written bits and bobs. And, you know, while I was working as an actor um, mm. and later a stand-up, I was writing, you know, terrible poems and awful plays and, uh, you know, all sorts of things. Um, but the idea of writing a novel seemed completely outlandish because they're like house bricks. I just thought, how much work is that? You know, it's ridiculous. (laughs) So much more work than just a little half hour, you know, animation for telly or something. Anyway, so I, but the whole of the year before I'd gone on holiday with the, with the family and I'd sat outside this villa we were in, in Corfu or wherever it was with a, with a beer every night, scribbling in a notebook. And when I got back, I thought, blimey, that's about 30,000 words. Hang on. That's about a third of a novel. Maybe it isn't as, you know, daunting as I thought it was. So I came home and I tarted those words up and I sent them off and eventually managed to get an agent. And I, I so I got an agent and then wait and see pudding. You know, you've no idea what's going to happen. <laughs> and I was shopping with my wife in Brent Cross Shopping Centre on this particular day and she'd gone in to the shop and I thought, well, I will, I'll wait outside. I, you know, it only takes me five minutes to look at pants. Yeah. I can do that. So I stood outside <laughs> and my phone rang and it was my agent to say that a publisher had made an offer. And that's the moment when you go... I know I'm going to be published. I am going to be published. You know, there's all sorts of contractual things to sort out and negotiations, but somebody wants to publish the book. And I sat there kind of shaking. And Claire, my wife, came out of the shop and said, you know, what's the matter? What's happened? I think I said, I have my phone in my hand. And she thought, you know, I'd received some terrible piece of news. <laughs> and but that was the moment when everything changed. Such a strange place for it to happen. <laughs> but memorable. Yeah, I mean, you always imagine you're going to be, I don't know, standing on Waterloo Bridge looking down the Thames or some wonderfully <laughs> sort of romantic and exciting location, but I was in Brent Cross Shopping Centre. But, yeah, that was... That was yes, I remember there I was outside the pyramids. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Was, that's the moment I always look back. I mean, there are lots of moments since then, of course, to do with, with, you know, the moment you get the first copy of your first book and, you, in fact, where I'm sitting now, there's a photo of that on the wall. Um, but you know, the moment when, you know, suddenly it's gone from me scribbling in a notebook and hoping to this book is going to be in bookshops, you know? Yeah. 
and then you think, oh my God, I'm going to have to persuade everybody I know to buy one. Yes, well, even even more uh, important at that point, I'm going to have to finish the flipping thing. All I'd submitted was thirty thousand words, you know, about a third of, of what became the final book, and and it's at that moment you go, oh crikey, I better start taking this seriously and finish it. Yeah. So did you know where it was going to go? You obviously planned it out in your head. Yes, I think I I, I think I sort of had an idea. Um, but then of course when you do a book deal, it's usually for two books. So I didn't just have to finish that one. I had to thought, oh, flipping it, there's going to be another one. And what is so weird is that it gets harder with every book, Mike. It's the weirdest thing. And you think, oh, I've done this now. I've done this. But it doesn't matter what, you know, I'm now writing book 24. And it's harder than all the books that went before. Because, and it took me ages to figure out why this was, of course, when a a much more experienced writer said, well, it's supposed to be like that, you idiot. Uh, Because... (laughs) In theory, you're trying to write a better book every time. You want to get better. You're trying to, and there are there are commercial pressures. Your publisher would like this book to sell a bit more than the one before that, and, and all that sort of stuff. But it's like you forget how to do it. You finish a book and you go few, and you take a month off and you go on holiday, and then you start again. And it's like you've forgotten how to do it. It takes about a hundred pages before you go. Oh yeah, no, yeah, I'm, I'm in the groove again. I think I can do this. Very weird. Because I suppose you must look back at the first books and sort of think. I thought when I wrote that, that it was a really clever twist, that. But actually now, I just wouldn't be happy well, with Well, the weird thing is, for the last 10 years or so, I've been narrating my own audiobooks. I didn't do it to start with, but I, I do it now. Mm. So what we're doing is going back, and I'm redoing all the early books. And because last year was the 20th anniversary of that first book, we did a special kind of edition of that, and I had to go back and re-record it. And that was a very chastening experience, <laughs> rereading out loud very slowly for three days a book I wrote, you know, 22 years ago. And of course, I do so many things differently and bits of it were rather embarrassing to look back on. But, you know, you make your mistakes early on. You hope you get them out of the way. You know, you have to live with them. And they're of their time. Yes. You know, we're the sum of our influences. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was trying to be a bit like that writer and sound a little bit like that writer. And I think it takes... It takes you two or three books before you go, yeah, that's my voice. Mm. I don't speak in, as you've already discovered, I don't speak in short, muscular sentences. You know, I gabble and ramble and and my writing has become a bit more gambly and rambly, but better. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I really like Tom Thorne. I've enjoyed his journey. Well, thank you. I I, I have to take a break from him every so often. I think that's the only yeah. way I can stick with him is to is to go away and do something else for a year or collaborate with somebody on something very different. And then, you know, if I was writing him every single book uh, for 22, Mm. 23 years, I think I'd get bored. And the minute you get bored, that's when your reader will get bored. Yeah, bound to be. So Brent Cross, did you have to travel far for that joy of walking into Brent Cross Shopping Centre? No, Brent Cross is about a 20-minute drive. It was the only place, it was the only place near to where we live where you could do that and go and you know, get your pants and have some coffee and, you know, buy a CD or whatever it might be. And now, of course, you can go all sorts of, or you don't leave home at all. But yeah, so I hope this time capsule is fairly big, although there's some, there's somewhere even bigger coming, I have to warn you. <laughs> okay. All right, I'll start digging. Okay. <laughs> Fantastic. All right. So that outside Marks and Spencer's, Brent Cross Shopping Centre. Yes, on the sort of first floor. Okay, that goes into the time capsule. That's item number one, Mark. Thanks. Brilliant. Okay, so what's your second item? Well, the second item is a song. Uh, so I don't know what format you want to put that on. You know, is it this song on CD? Is it this song being performed live? Oh, yeah. Is it the original band? Yes, indeed. Well, it's, it's not even a... It's actually a cover version of a song. Anyway, I, I'll get to it. The song is It Must Be Loved by Madness. Uh-huh. And this is very soppy, but this is kind <laughs> of... My wife and I met on a on a... 
a kids TV show that she was directing and I was presenting called What's That Noise? Years, years and years ago, where we would travel to a different city and look at the music everywhere from chamber orchestras to buskers to whatever. And then we'd gather all the musicians together at the end for a sort of live jam session. It was a great fun show and traveled around the country. Um, and I knew really quite quickly, I actually met my wife, Guzali, a year or two before that, where she'd auditioned me to present a show called Going Live, kids' Saturday morning TV show. Oh, my word. And uh, I'd auditioned to present it and not got the job. <laughs> <laughs> she always maintains that she wanted me to get the job, but she was overruled. She always maintains that. So a year or two later, she thought of me again to, to present this uh, kids' music show, along with the other half of the double act I was in at that time, um, called the Tracy Boys. And we presented this show. And anyway, we were in Manchester, and I think we'd, we'd started to have a little look at each other. And, of course, it's terribly unprofessional for the, you know, the presenter and the director to be you know, romantically involved. But we, we'd started you know, exchanging meaningful looks. <laughs> and anyway, one night we went out in Manchester, and we were in a club, and I asked her to dance. And as we took to the dance floor, this piece of music came on. Oh. It was one of those real moments where we just sort of looked at each other and it was like, shall we? And, you know, cut to umpteen years later when it's the song we did for our first dance at our wedding. And so it's always been a uh -huh. special song. It must be loved by Madness, yeah. Oh, how brilliant. Who sang it originally? Do you remember? Lavi Sifri, I think. Lavi Sifri, that's right. But, you know, Madness did a, did a great cover version of it. And it just, it's almost it just so perfect. Literally, we walked yeah. onto the dance floor and the previous record, whatever it was, finished. And on came It Must Be Loved by Madness. Oh, my God. If you rewrote that scene, the mirror ball would start going round. Yes, I know. And it would be Hugh Grant asking whoever to dance. <laughs> yeah, it was It was a perfect, perfect sort of filmic moment. I could, you know, couldn't have scripted it better. But uh, Don't ever tell Richard Curtis. No. No, I really won't. He'd, he'd spoil it. He'd, he'd nick it. <laughs> he'd, he'd have it. And that's been fruitful as well, hasn't it, as a marriage? It has a long time. Yes, 20... Um, Okay, well, 25 years, uh, mm. and uh, a couple of kids who I should probably talk about shortly uh, in another time capsule moment. Um, has, any, has anybody come on? This, has anybody come on? Come on the time capsule and just put a whole bunch of stuff in that's got nothing whatsoever to do with their families or their <laughs> ones. And you know, like, it sort of strikes me that you, you know, is the time capsule for for me to dig up in future years or for, or for you know, aliens? Uh, now, <laughs> having done over 100 of these, yes. I've still not really worked that out. Okay. I sort of generally try to assume, I, I assume actually that it's for you. Yeah. But it's a personal thing. These yeah. are things that are very personal to you. And so you're, you're regaining them from the past, as it were. You're getting them back. We're putting them somewhere safe. And in a way, if you want to peek inside and have a look, there they are for you to enjoy again. Well, bear in mind it already contains a, a, a massive shopping centre. It's it's going to take some digging up, isn't it? It's not like you just <laughs> yes. hop over with a trowel. And all those other people, those people who just popped into Marks and Spencer's for a sandwich, yes. they're going to be so pissed off. They're included, aren't they? I can't <laughs> insist that it's evacuated no. before it goes into the... I need to bring in a bomb threat or something, get it evacuated and then bury it. <laughs> Very true. Although I'm going to have to leave the burying to you. I'm going to have to leave the mechanics to you. All right, then. I'll be round with a truck. Okay. So um, you and Claire dancing... Where was the disco? Was it anything special? And do you remember the name? No. Do you know what? I can't. I can't. I think there were quite a few. The whole sort of crew, the whole TV crew went out that, you know, it was a big let your hair down night. 
Um, yeah. at some, I mean, it wasn't anyway, it wasn't Hacienda or anything like that. It was, you know, it was probably called Cinderella's or, you know, <laughs> some, some cheesy nightclub. Yeah. And I suppose when you look at it, it was a very cheesy moment, but it's, uh, it, you know, it, it was a real moment. I can absolutely remember that moment where the, the song came on and we looked at each other as if, oh God, this is so cheesy, isn't it? You know, oh no. And, and laughed about it. But, you know, as I say, cut to a few later, years later and we're dancing to it at our wedding. So it was wonderful. Uh. That's lovely. It's really lovely. I mean, and actually, those moments are, are very precious. You do recognise them, I think. Yes. When you've been through that, you do recognise that moment when you look at someone and they look back at you, Yeah, basically, without saying anything, but saying yes. Yeah. Yes, that, you're right. It absolutely was one of those moments. No. Ah, gorgeous. All right, so that goes into the time capsule. I did a television series called Benidorm, and yes. one of the guests on it was Madness. Oh, okay. And they played at a big finale at the end of the thing. And I had to, my part had finished the day before they filmed it. So I had to fly home. And you say, can I just stay for one day? One more day? And everybody, they just did a whole concert in this place. So basically it was a free madness concert. And I I would have loved to have been there. Yeah, I saw saw them a number of times, Madness. They were just such a great band live. Just a great, Mm. fun band. All right, that's item number two. So let's move on to item number three. Well, I've got to stick a picture of my kids in. I mean, I know it's just a picture, but there's just one particular picture that I absolutely love. My kids are about two years apart in age. And I guess when they were about four and two, we we had this sort of wicker laundry basket, sort of, you know, quite high laundry basket. And they both would take great delight in getting in this laundry basket and hiding. (laughs) And we just managed, managed to get pictures of both of them just with their heads peeking out of the laundry basket, which we've got together in a frame. And it's just one of those lovely pictures of two kids just, you know, and I think of them now, as I speak to you, they're both, they still live here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and they're both, of course, still in bed because it's, you know, it's before lunchtime. Um, mm-hmm. So they're still, they're still, they've still got hours in bed yet. But, but looking <laughs> at that picture of the two of them when, you know, they just couldn't wait to, grab hold of the day and have fun and, you know, their first bit of fun will be to jump in the laundry basket and, and hide for a while until we found them. So to have this <laughs> both of them peeking out of the laundry basket, fresh-faced little tights, um, yeah, that's the picture I'd put in the time capsule, I think. Those things are always a reminder, I think, of how, how quickly it goes from that to being oh, teenagers in bed. Oh, it's it's frightening. I mean, it is... It's such a cliche, of course, but only because it's true, only because it's horribly, horribly true. And you try and tell your own kids that, don't you? You try and yeah. tell them, they're, they're mardering about something, you're going, oh, don't worry about it, it's miles away. And, you know, I'm only, you know, 25, I'm only 20. And you go, you're going to be 50 before you know it. Trust me, I still feel like I'm your age, you know. Um, <laughs> and now look at me, I've got knackered knees and, uh, you know, deaf in one ear. Um, <laughs> so it's, yeah, it is, it's just a... You know, I think that's what a time capture should be for, isn't it? To capture a moment. Mm. It, it's weird, actually, that I'd go for that particular moment, a still image, than like some of the film we have of them. Right. You know, on, on shot on an old, I'd still say on video. That's lovely to see, but just to see this this picture where they're both beaming is... Uh, yeah, I suppose we are the first generation that has uh, films of our children with sound. Yeah. Everybody before that, was it was cine film. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, it's lovely to see. I love, I love seeing documentaries where they show that stuff, where they show old, old footage of people, you know, just mm. until it's sped up or black and white, <laughs> sepia even. Um, but actually, those, when you do look back at those early video films that you made of your own children, yeah. the thing that always strikes you about it, I think, is their voices. You've forgotten what they sound like. 
Yeah. And you go, oh, God, isn't it high? What yeah. a sweet little voice they've got. I know. And when they watch it, because, of course, they're, you know, seeing themselves. And, of course, we can't do it. I mean, you know, have you ever seen any footage of yourself as a child? No. But absolutely they can. And I think they're always amazed. I mean, look at me, look at my hair, look at what I was wearing, look at, you know. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. I remember, remember buying those shoes or I remember, you know, it is such a weird thing. I mean, God, we could spend the next half hour just talking about the the joys and yeah. woes of parenthood. But, um, you know, it's, uh, yeah, obviously there was always going to be a, a kid-related item in the time capsule. Um, mm. And yeah, just that particular photo. And have they indicated any any sort of direction in life? No, I mean no. I and it's weird. Because, I mean, that's one of the things I, w- I was hinting at when I was talking about how quickly the time goes. They're like, oh, we've got ages yet, and and I, and of course, partly they're right because if I think of where I was when when I was their age, it's not mm-hmm. what I'm doing now. It's not what I now consider to be what I laughably call a career. Um, which has been a concerted effort to avoid a proper job, just showing off in one way or another, you know, acting. <laughs> it's all a performance, Mike, it's all giving a performance. I mean, what's really odd is that, du- I don't know whether you did this, but during lockdown, fairly late on, I kind of hit a wall. I did hit a bit of a wall quite late on where I went, you know what, I've bloody had enough of this. Um, but mm. it was quite late. I mean, most of the time I quite enjoyed it. I admit that guiltily. Yeah. You know, it didn't stop me working. I could write. I could, you know, do all sorts of things. And I was fine. And I don't love crowds. I was I was fine with it. But there did come a point where I went, no, enough now. And my wife said to me, you know what it is? You need an audience. Uh, and I, she was absolutely right. It's kind of a weird thing to admit to yourself. But yes, I, because the one thing I couldn't do, I could write the books, but I couldn't go out on tour with them. I couldn't do book festivals and stand up in bookshops or I couldn't do that stuff. And what I missed, and, and she nailed it, was an audience. Yeah. So that I, I guess I have been performing one way or another for for, for a long time. Um, but the kids are going well. You know, we're not even we're not even we're in our mid twenties. We've got ages of time, and and they're right, of course. Mm-hmm. Figure out what they want to do down the line. But but neither of them have really given any indication of what that might be. Um, <laughs> you know that look. Neither of them are going to be doctors. Neither of them are going to be scientists. Neither of them. They're they're. They're both much more artistically inclined than that. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't think either of them are going to be writers or actors or... I mean, thank heavens for them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's one of the things you do is say, don't do what I did. Yes. I don't know. I mean, I'll be delighted whatever they do, as long as they're happy, you know. And, and yeah. obviously it's a very tough time right now uh, for people to be finding jobs. And-, and doing everything. I mean, in fact, one of my... <sighs> I'm afraid I, I, I sound like a, a broken record. I, I, I say this a lot to, to people at the moment, that I think that certainly my generation, our generation, we really owe young people for what's happened in the last year and a half. We really owe it to them. They have done an extraordinary thing, which is basically they've put their lives on hold and kept themselves isolated from everything they'd want to do in life, yeah. understandably, in order to protect us. Yeah, that's an amazingly altruistic and uh, giving thing to do, and I think that it's time for payback. Yes, when they rise up and slaughter us all. Well, uh, quite. I wouldn't blame them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's an incredibly altruistic generation. Um, I mean, you see that in terms of the sort of social movements that are that are gaining speed over the last few years and gaining traction. Yeah, environmentalism. Absolutely, I think I think they are an incredible generation, and I think they prior to the pandemic, when I think everything you've just said has, has, ha- has happened, prior to that, I think they were getting quite a rough time, you know, in the press mm. and on social media and all that, you know, snowflakes and all that sort of stuff. I think they were getting the shitty end of the stick. And uh, 
yeah, I think people will look back on exactly what you've just articulated and go, yeah, that was a pretty good thing that our kids did, yeah. you know, and our grandkids. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we should be proud. Yeah. Okay, lovely. Well, I'll take that photograph to remind you of all those happy years. Yes. Gorgeous. That goes into the time capsule. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll put it on the bathroom wall. Yes. In the time capsule. Oh, yeah, I'll stick the whole bathroom in because <laughs> we know the capsule's pretty roomy by now. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's face it, if you go into Brent Cross Shopping Centre, you, you want to have a shower. It is a bit of a grim old place, isn't it? <laughs> Okay, brilliant, Mark. So let's move on to item number four. Now, this is either something you love and we want to keep or the one thing that you want to get rid of. Oh, well, do you, do you want to leave the get rid of thing to last? or do you want... I don't know. It's up to you, whatever you think. No, let's stick with the happy stuff. Yeah. Okay, it's adverts time. Hooray. But we'll be back very soon. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back. Okay, let's return to Mark Billingham and find out what the fourth thing is that he'd like to put in his time capsule. Okay, well, it's odd because when I was talking to you about this via email before we you know arranged the time to do the recording you were talking about some of the things it could be and it's actually one of the things you mentioned i am actually going to put into time capsule glastonbury but i need to really specify i'm talking glastonbury 2019 and to be specific uh about two o'clock in the afternoon on the acoustic stage when the band I'm in played Glastonbury wow. two years ago. Um, myself and a bunch of, of, of fellow crime writers, for a bit of fun a few years ago, put this band together called The Fun Loving Crime Writers. And it was just a bit of fun that we, that we knocked together at, at a festival and did, you know, did all, you know, all over the country at, at, at book festivals. We'd go on, you know, at 10 o'clock at night and we'd do, we'd do cover versions. we do cover versions of songs about crime. Largely songs about murder, of, of which there are of which there are many hundred. So we do everything from you know Psycho Killer to by the Talking Heads, watching the detectives, Elvis Costello. I fought the law, the Clash, and we do it. Oh, brilliant! What a brilliant idea! Oh, it's great fun. I'd buy that album tomorrow. Well, <laughs> well it, it was just a bit of fun. We're a party band, 
And uh, the thing I always say is, we're a lot better than you think we're going to be, which is not which is not much of a selling point. I get that. I, I shouldn't write the band's <laughs> press release. Um, and the band is is made up of of three fabulous musicians. I mean, these these are all professional crime writers. Three, uh, Stuart Neville, an, an Irish crime writer who's wonderful, who's just a genius guitar player. Um, Doug Johnston, who's a fabulous musician, he plays the drums. Uh, and Luca Veste, a Liverpool crime writer, who plays the bass. So we're solid. We sound solid. We've got this, you know, great rhythm section and a brilliant lead guitarist. And then myself and Chris Brookmeyer and Val McBurney are, are up front kind of showing off and <laughs> doing, doing the singing. I'm playing the guitar very badly. Chris is playing the guitar much better than me. And Val is kind of Debbie Harry. And, <laughs> you know, we're just doing this for a lot of fun. And then cut to 2019 and we got booked to play Glastonbury. And it, it was just an astonishing day. Just, you know, I, I was the one that got the call to say, do you want to play Glastonbury? So I was the one that got to send the email to the rest of the band. It was <laughs> like, this is not a joke. Because it's, it's the thing you joke about. It's the thing you joke about when you're in a band, whether you're semi-professional or amateur, just doing it for a bit of fun. You know, oh, one day we'll play Glastonbury. And it's the thing that other people use as a stick to beat you with. Oh, when are you playing Glastonbury? <laughs> 2019 is when we're playing Glastonbury. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, and it was just an amazing, amazing day. I don't know whether you remember 2019 long, long ago now, but it was blisteringly hot. I mean, it was the whole weekend was stupidly, stupidly hot. So we were, we were wearing shorts and, but you know, walking on stage at Glastonbury, and actually not even the gig itself, which was great, you know, uh, on the acoustic stage, a huge flipping tent, but just everything that went with it. So in the backstage area, there's a row of fridges a row of fridges with the names of each band. Each band has an assigned fridge <laughs> with your rider in it, right? And our rider just consisted largely of beer. <laughs> but because it was a really hot day, we'd drunk it all about an hour before we went on stage. So we, we, we had to help ourselves to the odd beer from other people's fridge, should we say. But there, there is next to us is, is a fridge that says Hawkwind. And it's like, Hawkwind! We're wow and keen. And just people we were sharing the bill with that day. And it was absolutely amazing, just this bunch of idiots just doing this for a bit of fun at a few book events. And, and then suddenly we, we played Glastonbury. And it was just a gold... It's one of those... Buck, it's a real proper bucket list moment, Mike. And everybody mm. was... We were so overexcited. <laughs> oh, I can imagine. I can imagine. And that is just brilliant. The idea of a rider is just the most exciting thing, isn't it? Well, a long time ago, I did do a tour where we, and at the time, we were managed by Harvey Goldsmith. So he'd send out his, <laughs> he'd send out his general rider, yeah. which I think was the same rider that Genesis had or something. <laughs> you know? And I remember turning up at Leeds Poly or something to do a gig in front of 400 people. Yeah. And this bloke running up to us and said, I'm so sorry. He said, we just can't get any chilli and honey anywhere. <laughs> it's right. Don't worry, mate. You got beer. Well, there's a fantastic <laughs> myth about riders, which which I discovered a few years ago. You know that the classic thing is, you know, uh, these really demanding bands would say, "I want M and M's, but with all the brown ones taken out, or whatever." Mm. Which is always used as an example of how picky and demanding and ridiculous uh, artists can be. But it's a story. It's a myth because the reason that was done was it, it's so that a band knows if they've done that everything else is going to be fine. Yeah. You know, if they pay that much attention to the detail, then we know we don't have to worry about what it's going to sound like or the fact that there'll be enough microphones. Or so mm. It's one of those things that's become a bit of a joke um, but was done with good reason. And the, the odd thing is, I again, because I was the one dealing with the admin on the Glastonbury, I was the one that got asked to send the rider in. And we were so absurdly grateful that we'd booked. <laughs> 
I was like, we can't push it. We don't want to push it on the ride. <laughs> so we literally had something like a dozen cans of cold lager and a bottle of red wine. I mean, that was it. Uh, and then you saw, and I remember I, uh, Stuart, the guitarist, coming up to me at one point, and he's from Belfast, going, have you seen what's in Hawkwind's fridge? He was <laughs> they, It was just wall-to-wall bottles of vodka and all this kind of stuff. Um, but no, so, so these days we're a little bit more uh, demanding on the rider front. And again, that's been the big thing about lockdown for me and well, and the rest of the band is is missing doing that. We had a big yeah. tour lined up. We had a tour uh, uh, booked in for March and April, you know, when it all hit. And, you know, in the scheme of things, Mike, it, it, a lot of people have been through an awful lot worse than missing out on a, on a few chances to show off. Um, but, no, we can't wait to to get back together and do that. It's such a lot of fun because, you know, writing is, of course, by nature a solitary process. So so the fact that, you know, six of us can, can go and have fun for a weekend. And we're all, we're all mates and it's just... Great, great fun. And we love doing it. And, you know, everybody's a frustrated rock star, aren't they? Um, yeah. The fact that we can do it and jump up and down and, and, and pretend we're whoever we're pretending to be at that moment is, is, is joyous. But that afternoon, that Glastonbury afternoon, you know, the beams on our, the, the grins on our faces. Uh, yeah. Driving along the country lanes in our, in our van, you know, on the, <laughs> on the way to the festival site. Just joyous. Oh, my God, that's so lovely. That's such a lovely picture. And how great that you got the chance to do that. And I have to say, let me know when you're doing your next gig. I will. I, well, I will come. Yeah, the minute. And like I say, we're better than you think we're going to be. I mean, it is because <laughs> people would come along when we first started. You know, the fun of grandma. I was, oh, it's those writers whose books are reading. This is going to be a load of old nonsense. And we call to say, say, hello, good evening. And we start playing. And they go, oh, all right. And then Stuart plays the first lead guitar part. And you see their jaws drop. Because, I mean, he's been in bands since he was, like, 12. And he's just yeah. a genius musician, sickeningly talented. And then they go, oh, Christ, they, they can do this. It's a very good trick, I always think, in life. If you can hang on to the coattails of someone who's really talented. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly what I'm doing. Exactly what I'm doing. But, you know, also, every band needs needs a show-off. They need somebody yeah. who, who can jump up and down and entertain, the, you know, interact with the audience and, you know, all that sort of stuff. Which, to be honest, has always been... Uh, my forte rather than anything, anything deep and meaningful. I mean, when I was doing stand-up, I was always a much better compare than I was doing a 20-minute set. I was always much more comfortable walking out and going, who's here? Who have we got? Where are you? Let me talk to you, you know, mm. which I, I mm. guess is a skill in itself, but it's, but it, well, it's just overconfidence, I suppose. <laughs> but I, I used to like doing that very much, and, and, yeah, that's kind of what I do with the band. Fantastic. Okay, 2019. Yeah. It does seem a long time ago, doesn't, doesn't it? it? Doesn't it? Doesn't it just? Oh, okay. Well, it's not that long ago, and it's a fantastic thing to remember, and it goes into your time capsule. Okay. So that's four things that you love. Yeah. And very nice things as well. I sort of envy you your time capsule. I'm going to spoil it now. You're going to spoil it. Okay. Here we go. Well, it's a memory, I suppose, and it's a memory that's still with me because uh, I, I have to deal with it now and again. It's a horrible moment. It was 1999. I was filming again in Manchester. So from, from the lovely moment in Manchester when I met my wife and, we're, you know, my wife and I dancing to Madden. Cut to many years later, 1999, I was staying in a hotel in Manchester and I was filming with a friend of mine who we'd written this kids series and we were filming it. And we'd been out a couple of nights uh, on the town. And on this third night, we said, no, we need to talk about a show a bit. Let's stay in. Come over to my room and we'll talk about, you know, what we're filming tomorrow or whatever. And we ordered a pizza and a beer in the room. Still remember it, pizza and a beer for a fiver, good deal. Hmm. And there was a knock on the door. And I thought, oh, it's going to be, you know, uh, they've come to collect the tray or whatever, it's room service. 
And without thinking, I opened the door, and there's three guys in balaclavas. <gasps> and these guys just smashed me in the face and charged into the room and tied us up, tied us up and hooded us. And, you know, cut a long story short, we were, we were held hostage in that hotel room for three hours while one of them ran around Manchester with, you know, bank cards and, you know, look, as violent crime goes, it, it, we emerged relatively unscathed. They nicked a few things that don't really matter. We got beaten up a bit. You don't know that at the time, though. You don't know that. No, no. It was three hours of lying there on the floor with my hands tied behind my back and a hood over my head thinking, am I going to see my wife and kids again? What, what are they going to do? Why are they still here? What's happening? Um, Mm. And it was just horrible. It was just, just horrible. That thing of, um, you, you, you know, you think you know what it's like to be afraid because you've been on a roller coaster, you know, or you've seen a scary movie. But when you genuinely are thinking, am I going to die? Um, and I didn't, and it was, but I still, you know, I'm not saying I wake up screaming because it's not that, but I, I, I still have an element of PTSD, very, and it's, and it's, and it's rather a silly, strange uh symptom of it which which I've, I've read that a lot of people with ptsd develop which is an i cannot i cannot abide any sudden shock movement loud noise and it's become a joke it's a family joke so if somebody walks into a room i don't just go oh i go ah i mean i, I i'm <laughs> or somebody drops a saucepan and i certainly never had that before no so yeah i would i would happily banish those three hours between you know 10 o'clock and 1 o'clock in the morning. The reason they stayed so long, just a bizarre little prosaic detail, was uh, the guy that ran around with the bank card that he got off me needed to use the, the, the bank card either side of midnight so he could get two days' worth of money. <laughs> nice little detail. And I've used it. I've used the whole incident in a book. I kind of used it in my second novel. I made it much nastier and much worse. But uh, I thought, well, I'm going to get something out of this. Mm. Um, it can't get much nastier, though. I think that that's a long time to be terrified, and I absolutely can understand that you would be terrified in those situations. And also, in the long term, what it does is is you've come across people who, for the sake of 500 quid, mm -hmm. are willing to put other human beings through that, and you've, you've witnessed that. You've seen it firsthand, and you... Before then, I'm sure it was something you thought, I can't, I can't understand that. Yeah. Surely people wouldn't do that. Yeah, I, yeah, no. And, of course, it was the location because you're in a hotel. You're on the fourth floor of a hotel and you imagine that you're completely safe. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, back, back at, this was back at the time I was working as a stand-up. I was staying in hotels a lot. And it became very, you know, there'd be a knock on the door and I'd like, listen, I don't care. I don't care whether you, you're dressed as, you know, a member of hotel staff. I want to see ID. I want ID slid under the door. I'm going to, you know, um, it's just the shock of it, just the absolute shock of it. It was just weird. Yeah, no, I'm not surprised. What an awful thing. And what it suggests is that that's quite common. Well, the police, who obviously, you know, within about an hour of us uh, getting free, they just left and we, and it was rather bizarre. My friend who was tied up in the corner, he got himself free and I got myself free and he grabbed a chair and I grabbed the fire extinguisher and we went charging down into the lobby of this hotel. And of course, nobody in the hotel had any idea this was happening. So in the lobby, it's just, people just coming and going. And these lunatics come charging down the stairs with fire extinguisher and we go, what's going on? And we went, well, we'll tell you what's going on. We've just been, and the police turned up and the police said that they'd never 
heard of anything like it happening before. Really? They never caught them, by the way. They never got even close to catching them. Definitely some kind of inside job. Somebody at that hotel had told somebody, look, there's these guys in room 416. They've had room service. Knock on the door. Mm. And, and I didn't even say, who is it? There were no spy holes on the door. I didn't even say, who is it? I'm in a hotel. I didn't even think. But they were just thinking, well, all we've got to do is say room service and I'll open the door. And I don't know what they thought they were going to get. I mean, as you say, for what did they get? Well, I don't know if they recognised you as actors or stand-ups. Maybe they thought you had the box office or something. No, no I don't think they... No? But I mean, as you say, the risk they were taking. I mean, they'd have done some serious time if they'd been caught. And, and all they got was they got a couple of mobile phones, a few hundred quid, a couple of watches. I mean, really, it's sort of the risk they were taking. But here's an interesting, if rather disgusting, little fact. When we were, we weren't allowed, obviously the room was sealed off. And at some point we had to go back into the room because they moved us to a different hotel, the, the production company. So we had to get all our stuff out of the room. Mm. And so we needed to go back into the room a couple of hours later. And the bathroom, without being too graphic, uh, they'd made a mess, shall we say. And it was a kind of interesting because it actually told me they were every bit as scared as we were. Yeah. Their bodies were just reacting the way they would react, shall we say. Um, but it was, yeah, it was, um, it was a moment I think about a lot. Well, obviously I think about it a lot. Yeah. But I think about it, like I say, every time there's a loud noise or somebody drops something. It's just a weird, it's a weird, a weird little symptom. Yes, and of course, knowing that they were that scared doesn't make you feel any better. No, it doesn't. No. It doesn't. It doesn't make me. Doesn't make me have any sympathy for them or anything. It's uh, and it's it's weird the way you replay that moment. The, that moment when I answered the door, and that moment of time, sort of standing still, where I opened the door and I saw these three guys in in balaclavas, and I do remember going, "That's not room service." Mm. You know what? What is going on? Is it a joke? Is somebody playing a joke? And then this fist coming and just smacking me in the face, and then everything sort of speeding up, and suddenly down on the floor, are you fucking dead? I remember. God. <laughs> okay, and you you are you are completely infantilized. You know, you absolutely. I you just do anything you're told. But when I replay it in my head, I dodge that fist and pick up a chair and smack him across the head. You know, <laughs> I, you rewrite it. Yeah, I rewrite it and I turn into Batman. But um, <laughs> yeah, so that was where, you know when I realised there was a space in the time capsule for 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 something horrible to be to be got rid of. It was always going to be that. I think. Well, I wish I could really get rid of it for you, Mark. But we are going to put it in there, and I will tell you, it's gone. It's gone. It's gone now. It's gone. Don't worry about it. Right. I'm going to come round. I'm going to make a really sudden loud noise, and you'll go. I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> and I won't react. I won't react. Oh bloody hell! It's Mike again. You'll see. Oh, here he is with his trumpet outside the window <laughs> and his scary mask. <laughs> Mark, that's really been great talking to you. Well, I'm sorry the time capsule is so huge. <laughs> when I first saw it, I, I my time capsule for me equals the Blue Peter time capsule. That's the only thing I, you know. Which was what? How big was it? It was tiny. It was a tiny little thing that they plant in a Blue Peter garden. But now, in these days of, you know, what's the biggest thing anybody's put in so far? Craig Ferguson put America. America. Okay, that's large. That's big. That's, yeah. That's a big old time. Okay. <laughs> it feels very small compared to that. It's only a shopping centre in Glastonbury. I'm afraid also an entire hotel in Manchester. Oh, yeah. But still, you can get that in, in one small American city. Small fry. Tiny. It's nothing. <laughs> right, I'm going to go and start up the digger. Okay. I'll see you soon, I hope. Cheers, Mike. Thanks a lot. You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my lovely guest, Mark Billingham. 
I'm sure if you haven't read any of Mark's work, then this will have inspired you to have a go. I can't recommend them highly enough. And I hope we've inspired you to listen to more My Time Capsules. If we have, then you can subscribe to this podcast on the podcast provider of your choice. You're a free agent. Do that and you'll receive all episodes as they become available. And of course, while you're subscribing, you might as well rate the show and then maybe leave a short review to encourage others to listen. And then if you could come round and cut my grass, that would be great. Thanks. Uh, And you can follow me or My Time Capsule on Twitter and Instagram. And of course, Facebook, if you're that way inclined. To find out about all the guests we've got coming up. If you find the theme tune, which you can hear in the background, gets your foot tapping, then you can actually download a full version of it from Spotify. It was written by the intriguingly named Pass the Peas Music. This was a cast-off production for Acast. The producer was John Fenton Stevens. And that's it. I'll leave you with this question. The next time you're lucky enough to be staying in a hotel and there's a knock on the door and you think it's room service... Will you look through the little peephole before opening it? I bloody well will. Bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.